From Hanover, New Hampshire, I'm Lee Coffin, Dartmouth's Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid, and this is the Admissions Beat. Hello, seniors. You are now two weeks away from May 1st. The National Candidates Reply Date creeps closer by the minutes. And for many of you, you're still thinking about where you see yourself enrolling. And this episode, from a student perspective, picks up where we left off last week, where we had faculty members talking about majors and minors and the undergraduate experience from their perspective leading a classroom. And this week, I bring three first-year students into the conversation to help you imagine what your first year might be like. Like, what happens after May 1st? How do you go from your enrollment decision through the pre-matriculation experience of the summer, get ready for fall, and then start taking classes and meet new classmates and experience college And one of the things I I often say to students as I'm talking about college is Utopia College has not been founded yet. So you go through your search looking for the perfect place. Does not exist. Uh, Colleges are human organizations with lots of moving parts. And you're going to experience people and ideas and places and the need to do your own laundry and cafeteria food, and lots of other things that you might not be thinking about today, but will land on your doorstep not that many months from now. So when we come back, we will meet our three undergrads and have a conversation drawn from their wisdom as college freshmen. We'll be right back. So we're joined today by three members of Dartmouth's class of 2026. Um, And as always, while they are Dartmouth students, we are not talking about Dartmouth. We are giving you advice from the Dartmouth point of view that hopefully you can plug into whatever options you have or wherever you might be headed in September. So we're going to say hi to Lexi Gochi, who is from Ronan, Montana. Hi, Lexi. Hi, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about your background. So you're from Montana uh, and you went to Ronan High School. Um, Tell us just a little bit about your background there and and what your college search was like a year ago. Yeah, so looking back a year ago, I had really no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I applied to Dartmouth Early Decision for three reasons. Um, One, because Dartmouth was a small school, uh, because it was in a small town, and because it was um, had the Native American program that I uh, wanted to uh, be a part of. So for those three reasons, I was like, okay, let's go all in for Dartmouth. Uh, I didn't really know much about the school before applying. So it was kind of um, like a shot in the dark, but I would definitely say that it was a good choice for me to make. Uh, growing up in a really small town, I just wanted to make that transition to college be a little bit more smooth. And Dartmouth, um, being such a small school in rural New Hampshire, gave me the best of both worlds. It gave me going to the East Coast and also going to a small school. Great. Thank you. Um, Roman Jimenez is a student from Los Angeles. Hi, Roman. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So you are a graduate of Le Lacie Francais de Los Angeles. I don't know if I'm saying that. I was I studied Italian, so I might have I might have just uh, Italianized your French <laughs> your French high school. Um, no, you're so you're completely okay. <laughs> there you go, multilingual. So tell us a little bit about your journey from LA to Hanover. Yeah, I mean, obviously coming from such an urban city, um, Dartmouth at first glance didn't seem like it would be something that would appeal to me. Um, But as we'll speak about later on, that completely changed. And I'm actually incredibly happy to have chosen Dartmouth. But amongst other things, I think for me as a government major, um, Dartmouth's curriculum, as well as having the option to just like engage in several interdisciplinary liberal arts 
you know, curriculums here at the college is what kind of gravitated me here. Um, and that was something I was quite adamant about in high school when I was looking for in a college. I wanted to have a well-rounded education. Good. Our third guest is Andrew Wilson from Lincoln, New Hampshire. So we have LA, Montana, and someone much more close, someone closer to campus. Hi, Andrew. All right. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. And um, so tell us a little bit about, so you attended Linwood Public School in Lincoln, New Hampshire, which is a teeny tiny high school. Yep. Yeah. I believe we're the smallest public school in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, wow. a, a little bragging rights right there. <laughs> <laughs> how many, how many classmates did you have? Uh, my class was one of the smaller ones. I think we graduated with 18. Wow. Lexi, are you, were you smaller than that or bigger? I was 66, but a lot of the rural towns around are about the same. Yeah, the regional. Okay, so you're, and, and I'm guessing YC was also tiny. Yes. I mean, my graduating class, I believe, had 32 students. So, oh boy. So, all three of you came to college from relatively small high schools. Um, so, Andrew, so you um, uh, tell us a little bit more about your what you're studying and what your interests are. Yeah, so I'm planning on studying engineering. Um, in my free time, I like to ski, and then um, I like I enjoy working at the railroad in my town on the summers, and I enjoy, I'm especially interested in engineering sort of metals. I've always liked to weld, and since coming to Dartmouth, I've discovered the machine shop, so that keeps me pretty busy, so yeah. That's a, did you say you work on the railroad? Yeah, the, the Hobo and Winnipesaukee Scenic Railroad's um, run in my town. I've been working there since I was 14. I love it there. Dude, what do you do? Um, pretty much general maintenance. We have a pretty small crew that uh, maintains the locomotives, rail equipment, and the track. And they've all been really great to me. Um, it's That's actually what I wrote my admissions essay about. Um, so th this 14-year-old kid gets to work with guys who've been doing it for 45, 50 years. It's really something pretty special. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. I, that's a, that's I think that's a first. I don't know <laughs> that, I've, uh, that I've uncovered that as an extra cricket. So mid-April, Dartmouth is on a, a quarter system. So for our listeners... We've gone through the fall term, the winter term, and now we're at the beginning of the spring term. So using Dartmouth just as an example, usually three courses per term. So you've had each around nine courses to date, maybe eight, maybe 10, but nine-ish. For people in high school who are still thinking, you know, college is an idea, not a reality just yet. What was that experience like? You know, you were high achievers in high school you come to a college and you're surrounded by other high achievers which is always one of those moments of adjustment and and you have to translate your academic success in high school to this college space was that did that was that easy was it challenging were you surprised by it like how did particularly in the in september and october set some expectations for our friends in high school about what the launch of your college academic experience is like. I was um, very motivated through high school. I did a lot of clubs. I would leave my house at like seven in the morning and get back at like nine o'clock in, um, in the evening. And that was an adjustment coming here to Dartmouth where I kind of had my days a little bit more open than I'd ever had them in like the last four years. And so managing my classes and being in that room with there's a lot of people that are at that same academic level as me or beyond and it was humbling in a way but also it made me want to rise to that expectation and I had to also have grace with myself because being a high achieving student in high school I hadn't really experienced those lows of, oh, getting like a 50% on an exam. And so I took um, an intro linguistics course and I was basically halfway through the term saying to myself, there's no way I can do this. And by the end of the term, I was like doing really well in the class and enjoying it. And it actually changed my path to want to pursue linguistics more. And so it was having that grace with myself that, okay, yeah, I can totally bomb a a test but you can come back from that and there's people that are willing to like rally behind you and help you kind of get through that and lexi when you when you characterize this you bombed the test what happened like what what was different about a college class versus a high school class that that you had to kind of back up a step and say oh i need to recalibrate 
Yeah, in high school, I realized that my study methods weren't very much study methods. <laughs> uh, they were more like pay attention in class, do the homework, and then the test should come fairly easy because you're going over this content. It's a lot slower pace. And then I get to Dartmouth where 10 week terms go by so fast, you are learning just an abundance of information every time you have a class period. Uh, so for me, it was more like leaving the test and not feeling like I did well. And also realizing that, okay, I can't just come to class, show up and have that be like the end of it. I have to like dive into it deeper. And so for me, bombing with a test was more like not feeling comfortable with the material that I was working with. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew and Roman, does that sound familiar? Yeah, I guess I, I can speak to that. Um, yeah, just like Lexi said, I'd say probably the biggest adjustment between high school and college is time. I mean, granted, in, in high school, you, I don't know, you might have up to seven classes, whereas here you only have three, which, um, or at least at Dartmouth, but it's in a 10-week term. And you also, your day isn't nearly as structured. You don't have anyone telling, or telling you where you have to be at what time. And the, the other difference I'd say is in high school, you can sort of get by trying to do everything, may, may or may not, but you can do sports, you can do a lot of the clubs, and here, don't even try to do everything. It's very impossible. Um, my advice would be try to pick a few to focus on, and um, it, it just really just takes time to find the balance between academics and clubs and sleep and social and all of that. Yeah. Now, that balance is is a good piece of advice, as is time. You know, you've both referenced that as you, know, you come out of a high school environment where you know, like in my public high school, there were seven periods. There was a bell that rang between the periods and you went from period one to period two to period three to lunch to period five. And, you know, you didn't have this freedom to say, I've got an eight o'clock class and an 11 o'clock class, and maybe a 3 p.m. class. What are you doing between and teaching yourself how to how to use those in between times effectively a really important Roman. How, how about you? What was, um, what was your fall like? Yeah, absolutely. I think going back onto that note about time management, I think that was incredibly important, but also having time to implement into your schedule, just using the general resources of the college I found was extremely helpful. Um, I think when you're dealing with that type of material, specifically for me, scholarly articles in the government department, I found that a lot of the times that required me to actually, you know, go into the library and spend time with the librarians and like actually see that material in its physical form and also deal with that in a very like real way. Whereas in high school, I felt like it was very easy to kind of how back on that note of like getting by, whether that's doing the work online or just being used to that. And I think that's important to mention as well. I mean, we were obviously during the COVID, you know, era of schooling. So I think I became very accustomed to doing all of my research purely online. And so when I got to college, I think having to step into the realization that we're back, you know, into like the regular type of learning environment, you really can go into any sort of, whether that's a facility or a resource or going and seeing a teacher during office hours, that's a very, you know, physical way of learning that I felt was absolutely necessary in order for me to progress. Yeah. So you just mentioned office hours, which I think for a lot of students is a new concept. So describe office hours. So when you have, you get the, the syllabus, which is the course schedule from your professor, and there are office hours. What is that? Yeah, so I'm um, speaking obviously specifically to Dartmouth. That is hours that are set aside outside of class time um, for you to meet with the professor at a scheduled time of convenience. Um, and those are extremely resourceful. You get to speak one on one with your professor um, and talk about quite literally anything that you want to talk about regarding the course or even just personal matters that are on your mind and how it might you know, affect your academic success at Dartmouth. Um, but in general, I mean, I'm sure other colleges have very similar methods of being able to reach out to a professor. And I think I would tell students to definitely take advantage of that. Yeah. No, an office hour is, you know, is a universal concept. You know, that is, you know, the norm in most undergraduate environments where the faculty will have, you know, every Tuesday at three o'clock or every Tuesday and Thursday at three o'clock, and just pop in. And I, I remember in my first year, I learned to do it. It wasn't the norm in my high school, but I, I you know, the professor kept saying, come see me if you have questions. And like Lexi, I, I had 
an early exam result that was not one that I was accustomed to. And I went to see the professor and I said, can you look at this with me and just kind of review it so that I can shift the way I'm studying? And it was really valuable. And um, the other thing I'm wondering as we talk about the shift from high school to college is you know something I think Andrew mentioned, you have maybe seven courses at the time when you're a senior. In college, you might have three, four, maybe five, but usually four. And then I know um, when I, I used to work at Tufts University and I was a first year advisor and some of my students would say, four courses, like I can do this in my sleep. And I'd say, eh, they move more quickly. Um, don't, don't get out over your skis uh, and think just because four is less than seven, it's easier. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, in, in high school, yeah, if, if you had seven courses, maybe not all of them would have homework every night. Maybe you'd be able to knock out the homework in an hour. And I remember during orientation week, they told us the rule of thumb here is for every hour in class you spend, plan to spend three on doing homework, but which I found, um, depending on the class, sometimes um, sometimes it's not quite three. Sometimes it could even be more than three, wow. but it's, it's, de- it's definitely a lot. Um, usually at least you'll spend the amount of time you spend in class or the amount of time you spend out of class will be at least the same amount of time you would spend in class. Yeah. And where, where do you do the studying? Yeah, I'd say I do a lot of my studying in the library. Um, at first I was sort of studying in my dorm. I sort of got myself to come out of the shell and sort of look for a few different places. Um, I've, I've found different classes. I need different levels of focus to study for. So if some classes I'll need to shut myself in, we call it the stacks. It's a silent area of the library here. Um, other ones I can sort of do with my friends. Um, being a little noisy in the background. Um, sometimes I'll do it in my dorm if I'm sleepy or what have you. Um, it, it really depends. And it's good to change it up every now and then. Yeah. Lexi, where do you study? Yeah, I also study wherever it kind of fits the vibe. Uh, I took a reading Jane Austen class last term, and I only studied in the old libraries here on campus because it kind of emulated that like Victorian (laughs) reading that I was doing. Um, But when I'm, it, it honestly depends. I really do like being in my room. I'm a homebody, so I enjoy my space. Um, now that it's warm outside, I can sit outside and do the studying and go on the green and that kind of stuff. Um, I found that when I'm studying outside, I'm the most productive because just the sun and everything really helps. And that's counterintuitive. I would guess if you're sitting on a green or a quad and there are frisbees and dogs and other happiness, (laughs) Uh, it would be hard to stay focused, but you like that. I like that too, because um, I also grew up in a house with, I have five older siblings and I'm the youngest and it was always chaos and everybody always had their friends over. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm doing this really serious work. I'm going to go try to find the most chaotic spot ever. But there have been times where I'm like, okay, there's no way I can have any other distractions. And usually my room is the best place for that. So let's talk about the classes themselves, because Lexi mentioned linguistics, Um, you know, um, go back to September. Tell us, let's start with Roman. What what three courses did you take in your first year, first term? Yeah, so in my first term, I took international politics, which was government five. Um, I took American political behavior, which was government 83, I believe. Um, And then I also took my writing class, which was constitutional law. So that's interesting. So you had three courses all in this political realm. Yeah, which I know everybody like advised against because especially in your like freshman fall, my advisors had highly suggested to like, you know, try different classes and like different, you know, departments. And honestly, that was something I didn't listen to, which I did take into account in my winter term. And I think that was partially the reason why I enjoyed it a lot better. Okay. So you ignored your advisor. (laughs) I did. I ignored that advice in the first term. Why? And why? I mean, you could, but why did you ignore your advisor? I think it was very interesting because in high school, a lot of the like government related courses are just somewhat intertwined with your social studies classes. Um, And so in that sense, I never had like a 
proper government course. So when I came to college, I think I was just extremely excited to finally do courses that were like just government, what I intended to do. And I think I, I really did find that I needed more of a balance in terms of material. Once you do the three government courses, I mean, it's reading all the time, government papers, writing government papers. And I found that by switching it up in my winter term, I was just able to get so much more, I think, out of the term in general. So your advisor was right. And you're, I think I hear advice from you to the seniors, like listen to your advisor <laughs> when you, when you get to college and you start mapping things, I mean, you know, some of you are very independent and you want to go your own way and try it. But what's interesting, because I've seen students do this where you load up with like, oh, like I'm a, I'm a science person and I just want to take science, but the blend sometimes is really helpful. And Andrew, so you came in, you, I peaked at last at your application record and you applied thinking engineering uh yep. are you sticking with that yeah i, I think so I'm, I've, I've sort of known for a while <laughs> and what was your first term yeah my first term i took um math 11 which is um accelerated multivariable calculus um physics 13 which is sort of intro um covers mechanics and a little thermodynamics and then philosophy 3 which is reason and argument okay so interesting so comparing you to roman for a minute you had two of the courses that were in that kind of engineer, pre-engineer space. And then you had philosophy kind of as, a, and so Roman was talking about balance. Did that one philosophy class feel like a, like a, a welcome shift from having calc and physics? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it was really refreshing to have sort of a break. Um, I mean, as much as I love calc and physics and all of that, it's, it's nice not to have that be the only thing you have to do. <laughs> yeah. And what, what was your math course during your senior year of high school? Yeah, so my, um, in a pretty small school, we don't have um, a ton of math courses. So I'd actually done all the math courses that my school um, had traditionally offered. So I did an um, intro to multivariable online through the University of North Dakota. And one of my um, calculus teachers in high school sort of helped, helped me through it. Like whenever I was stuck on something, I could go to him and he would help me. Great. So then the the reason I'm asking that question is from that prerequisite, you land in, you know, th this first year calc course in college. What was that like? Does it, did it move more quickly <laughs> than you're expecting? Did it, you? Yeah, it, it was a pretty hard transition. I remember it was a lot of the same content, but just at a much harder level. Like I remember in, in high school in the course I did online, the exams would be very similar to like an easy-ish problem in the homework. Like, do you understand the concept at a basic level? Whereas this, I remember the exams were incredibly hard. And I think the median on the first exam was in the 60s and they curved it after. But I remember I was taking the exam and I was like, there's a chance I don't know a single question on this <laughs> exam. And, and it, it ended up fine. But no, it was really sort of a, a kicking the teeth at first. I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is just at a much higher level. Um, but don't let that scare you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what, that was Lexi's experience in linguistics too. I mean, what's interesting is I, as you, two of you have now said something like this is, you know, you're used to getting A's when you're in high school and then you come into college. And so, I remember my niece a couple of years ago was a very high achieving high school student and was about to go to Boston College. And I said, now, Mia, you may not get an A plus in everything you take. And she looked at me like I just said, you have horns. She said, of course, I'm going to get an A plus. And I said, no, you don't, you know, you don't need to. So Lexi, what, how about your first term? You had linguistics. Yeah, so I came in as a, pers well, I, I said undeclared on my um, application, application yeah. but I came in wanting to do math and, um, I didn't take any math classes my first term. I took intro to linguistics because I had um, an upperclassman friend tell me during our pre-orientation program that it was a good class for, and it, he said that it itched the same part of your brain that math does. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'll try it out. And um, I took ethics of the internet, which was a part of my writing five course. And then I took global indigenous politics, um, which is in the Native American studies department. Well, you know what I love about like that last course, the, what, say it again, the politics of indigenous. Global indigenous politics. Yeah. Like to the listeners, those are the kind of courses usually take in high school. 
you know, you take social studies, you might take world history. Um, the classes you're hearing the three of them describe, I mean, yeah, physics, but it's really thermodynamics uh, or indigenous politics or international relations. I mean, right out of the gate in these college environments, you have these topics that are really interesting and sometimes specific. But what's interesting about the three of you is it doesn't sound like anybody had a big survey course during your first term. Is that true? Do any of you have like a larger lecture course? I'd say my, my physics course was on the larger side, but um, I think there were, well, I think um, there were two sections. Um, my section was the earlier section. It actually only had, I think, 25, but the other section had, I think, 40. So there ended up being a, a good number of people, but um, no, but there was, there's plenty of resources. I think the class had, I don't know, maybe half a dozen TAs and there were plenty of office hours between all of the TAs. So it felt very manageable. So Andrew, so let's dig into that for, for a sec. So you you come from a high school with a senior class of 18 people. Yep. <laughs> and you're so far, it sounds like one of the larger courses you took in college so far had, even if it was the section of 25, that's more people than were in your senior class. Oh yeah. No, no, it, it was so, definitely quite so, the transition. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to do large in air quotes, large is relative. But for you, that was a much bigger classroom than you'd ever experienced. What was that transition like? Yeah, I'd say, um, well, for physics, I'd say it was probably a little different than maybe some of the other ones. So the professor made it a point to get to know everyone's name, um, but that's definitely not the case for all of them. Um, they, they usually try their best to get to get to know everyone individually, but I mean, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. they, they only have 10 weeks <laughs> to, to learn the names of 60 some odd people. So yeah, I'd say um, it was good to sort of become acquainted with the people who sat around me. I remember um, the, the guy who sat right next to me um, is now one of my good friends in Physics 13, um, Nathan. And of course, we'd study together, review homework together. So it's really important to sort of use your classmates as a resource. Yeah. Well, and it's it's an interesting topic to think about the size of classrooms, because some colleges you can have a thousand people in one class or you might have five. And, you know, one of the decisions I think are are seniors in high school are facing is what's the best environment for you to do your best work so if a classroom which is really an auditorium where there's hundreds of you taking notes um, feels comfortable really important to dial into that if the idea of being in a really tiny classroom you might be coming from a huge public high school and the idea of a of a course with five or six of you seems like surprisingly interactive like how about roman um or lexi did you have really tiny classes at dartmouth so far i mean yeah i'll jump in here in this instance but i actually i i enrolled in a senior seminar unknowingly um, oh. <laughs> which was american political behavior and that was quite a small class i don't remember the exact number but off the top of my head it might have been about 10 15 of us 10 12 13 um, so nine seniors and you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So most colleges have some set of requirements that students have to fulfill as they move, not just through the major, but more broadly through their undergraduate experience. And often in the first year, there's a writing requirement. And a couple of you have mentioned um, humanities or an expository writing or an English requirement. So, you know, for listeners at Dartmouth, there's a writing requirement and that's broadly true. So let's talk a little bit about what that first year writing seminar or class is like. And, you know, did your first paper come back with a lot of red ink on it from the, the from the professor? Like what, what was first year writing like as a course to shift you from what you knew in high school and how you might have written a paper in that space versus what the college faculty were expecting you to do. Lexi, what did you what did you experience? Yeah, this was one of the biggest adjustments for me when I came to Dartmouth. Um, I in high school I took AP Lit um, my senior year and I loved the class and I learned how to write essays like two essays in two hours or something like that. And for me, it was very much like, oh, this should be a pretty easy class to get by um, because it's like, okay, I plug in 
this, I plug in these, this evidence, and then there we go. And um, I also had to write a paper about philosophy for the first time in my life. Uh, I am very much um, like a logical structural writer. And so stepping outside of that in a class was really hard for me. I know that my professor was like, this isn't necessary. And, or he'd be like, what do you mean by this? And I'm like, I don't even know what I mean by this. I've never <laughs> written about this before. And it was really tough. Um, so during like the writing five, the ethics of the internet course I took, we did a lot of reading and um, I seemed to do better when I kind of structured it around like an editorial thinking about more like if people want to read this, um, what are they going to get out of it? out of it what are they going to learn trying to be more creative was really hard for me and it pushed me out of my comfort zone um but it was I think good in retrospect because now when I go back and read my writing from high school it is painful like to read it it's like <laughs> this isn't like that's not necessary you don't need this this is filler all that stuff and then moving into my reading Jane Austen class which was my seminar I did very different um writing five and then seminar classes um because with the Dartmouth writing five you can kind of choose how you um what courses are interesting to you and so I dipped my toes into the English department through that course and I had watched all the Jane Austen movies with my mom and I was like, oh, this is going to be a breeze. Um, I know everything that I need to know. I, I know how to write about literature. No, that was not the case. And um, again, I had to be more creative and step out of my comfort zone when doing that. And I think that like the first essay I got back, I was kind of defeated in a way because I was like, wait, I thought I knew all this stuff. But in reality, they're trying to, in the writing department, I feel like they're trying to make you into your own writer and not into a writer that is, that you've been trained to be. So yeah. for me, I had to channel my own voice. And by my final essay, I was writing about things that really interest me, but also I had to channel my own voice and I had to channel my creativity. And like in the end, it ended up being a way better paper. Yeah. What happened to Roman? Yeah, um, I resonate with a lot of what she said. I think in general, I had a very different, like my feedback was very different. I mean, obviously I was going into government and I knew I did. And a lot of my prior writing experience was very much like legal based. Um, and there's a format to that. There's like a specific, you know, way of writing. And so actually what I've noticed is every single one of my feedbacks like that I've received from my professors has all mentioned how it sounds very legal and very like law um, from that like scope and they're always like you know it has to come off completely differently I mean for the first time in my humanities courses you I was like actually writing analytics on like you know film theory and incorporating that into a writing style that is not you know a law paper is very very different and I think also me just going into college like knowing I would do pre-law and that that would be what I want to do you know after my undergraduate education I really viewed my undergraduate education as like preparing for law where I wasn't viewing it as its own thing like studying government and I think that was a very different perspective I had to mentally switch into and a lot of that was thanks to my teachers to realize you know at the moment I'm a government major I'm here in an undergraduate and liberal institution and that writing should reflect more of that rather than so much like preparation for something I will have plenty of time to view in the future so I think the writing course really did prepare me for getting me on track and making making me realize that earlier. Yeah, no, that's helpful. So sometimes the required courses are revelatory. Like you might say, well, like, you know, Andrew might be looking at it going, I'm an engineer. Why do I have to take a writing class? <laughs> right? Did you think that? That was my attitude going into it. Yep. Yeah. And what happened? Yeah, I would say I had a lot of the same experiences, Lexi. Um, you know, sort of, I, I remember midway through the term, I wrote a paper and I, I talked about three points um, and, I think I spent four paragraphs discussing my first point, maybe one paragraph in my second, and two on on the third. And I said, "Wow, is this going to be okay? Like, it's not an even distribution." I handed it in, and she 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 liked it, and um, the professor liked it, and she's like, "You know, you don't even have to stick to the three point thing. Um, you can say however many or few points you'd like to make your point." Um, and you no, know, just like Lexi, I I took AP Lang in high school. And I sorted down, I had it down to a formula at the end. Okay, you plug in this sentence here, that piece of evidence there, and it'll all work out. And it's completely different here. You, you sort of just have to write to 
get your point across. And, and I'm taking my, I'm in the middle of my seminar right now. And I'm, I, I think that'll be a little bit different. I know he's saying that um, the professor wants to make it a point that we'll try writing in different styles and different per personas um, just so we can practice different voices. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I like about the point you're, you're all making is I think for a lot of students coming out of high school where you've been high achievers, um, what you're all, you know, you all got to college and you're doing well, but you had to make some adjustments you know, and the good news is your applications that got you into the college certified, yeah, you can do the work, but that doesn't mean you don't have to recalibrate yourself. And I think, you know, my kind of advice to the listeners is don't get discouraged at the beginning when things aren't as smooth as you might have imagined, because what you have in on your transcript from high school is the ability to succeed, you know, and you might have to reinterpret what that means. I think Lexi said that, like, you know, you might have had a certain way of studying because that's what the high school required and you did well in that space. And college invites you to, like, sometimes a one of the disciplines pushes you out of that comfort zone and you have to reimagine um, how you study and what you're interested in. What's been the most challenging course you've taken any of you, like, you know, during this, during your first year, what was the the one that you're like, Oof, this was not what I thought was, it might be linguistics for Lexi, but maybe not like what, which, which course did you try? And you said, yeah, that's not, that's not my cup of tea. Yeah, I guess I can start. Um, I know we talked a little bit about Math 11. Um, I'd, I'd say that was probably the most difficult just because they made the problem so dang hard. Um, <laughs> I went into it having a, a little multivariable experience and I thought it would be, oh, this will be a nice sort of introduction to the Dartmouth classes. I'll, I'll know most of it. I don't have to work very hard. I can focus on physics and philosophy. And that was not the case. That was definitely the most stress-inducing stress class I've had so far. And I, I mean, I think it was a net positive in the end. It definitely built character, built study habits, but no, that one was a bit of a doozy. I mean, a doozy. <laughs> Roman, did you have a doozy? I think it would have to be the writing program classes I took, not the humanities one, um, but the constitutional law class. Because again, I think I just had to make that mental shift. And a lot of that came down to the relationship that I was able to build with the teacher. Um, the professor was really able to advocate for different resources on campus in order for me to utilize um, our writ, which is a writing center here um, at Dartmouth. They have peer tutoring, which was an awesome resource just to have my work read by um, other students and just peers who, you know, maybe, and it, it's not necessarily that they knew what I was writing on, but that was what I needed is somebody who had a fresh mindset on what they were reading um, in order for me really to get valuable feedback in order to make those changes and to write better. So I definitely think it would be the writing program and just those classes in general that I had to figure out how to use resources with. And did the idea of needing a tutor or using a tutor, did that sit well with you at the beginning or did you, did it not phase you? I mean, it was a, it was a bit difficult, especially with writing, you know, it's a very personal experience. Um, and I know that we're all used to like creative writing, especially when we had to do the application process and like writing is a very personal thing, especially for me. It's always been something that is like mine. You know, I don't like having people read my work very often. Um, so having to actually admit like, Hey, you know, maybe I should have somebody read my work and, you know, not necessarily guard myself from feedback and allowing myself also to absorb that feedback and know that like my writing's not perfect um, and they're going to make comments on that and I'm going to be able to build on that. I think that was very important for me to do. Mm -hmm. So let me shift just a smidge. Um, so we started with Roman telling us he ignored his advisor at the beginning and chose the courses he wanted. And, and I think Lexi mentioned having peers suggest, I think it was linguistics as of course you might like. So talk a little bit about the dynamic between the advice you might get from a faculty member versus the peer-to-peer -peer advice. Like what's that like during particularly the first term uh, as you're exploring this new place and you've got, you know, someone down the hall saying, don't do that, do this. And how do you 
listen and move forward through that space? Yeah, so I think that I was lucky enough to get plugged in with upperclassmen pretty early um, that I really respected because I saw them being successful here on campus and I kind of wanted to crack that code. But um, I also kind of protested the advice that was given to me from my advisors uh, because, of course, I know what's best for me, right? Um, But obviously that wasn't the case. I think that um, I took a lot of what was said to me with a grain of salt by my advisors, but coming back now that I'm working um, as a tour guide for admissions, I'm thinking about all these things that were told to me and I'm like, wait those are so true and those are so valid. Um, But one of the things that I have found is that uh, the college is changing every year, every four years, however it is. So the seniors giving me advice are giving me advice based on their experience. And I think that that's really valuable. And also the advisors, they're working in the here and now with your class. So it's important to take both of those into consideration that the upperclassmen are going to be giving you advice on their experiences that may have changed or adapted over the years. And because a place like Dartmouth is so dynamic, there's always things moving around. Uh, Even just like with our language requirement, now we have uh, a different requirement than what the seniors had, the seniors now had. And so I think that it was taking that advice like, okay, I'm going to look at just like the core of what they're saying. And then I'm going to go to my advisor and help my advisor is going to help me process. Yeah. Well, and Lexi, you you kind of bring me to a question I was just about to ask where you come out of high school. Some of you might have AP scores or IB scores or something that suggests to you that you are more, you are pretty advanced in the subject and then you get to college and like maybe in a foreign language for example you had ap spanish and then you take a placement exam and they say start in spanish one and you're like no i'm going like have you found yourselves in a space where you had to place into a sequence it could be languages could be mathematics where you know you needed to kind of check yourself around how ready you might be for um a topic I uh, did the summer writing requirement where you submit your writing to the writing department and then they place you in writing two, three, writing five or humanities. I was very much like I'm going to get into humanities. I have to get into this because it's very competitive. Um, And when I was waitlisted for it, I was like, wait, what do you mean? I shouldn't be like, I, I thought for sure I had it. I worked really hard on the essay. I worked for weeks um, and I didn't get it. And so then looking back on my writing five and my seminar experience, I'm like, yeah, they kind of made the right choice. And <laughs> I, I was I was taken off the wait list for uh, humanities to do it in my winter term for my seminar. And I decided not to, because I think that Um, I learned a lot about like my writing and shaping it. And I wanted to kind of continue on that trajectory. So I had, I was like, these people, they've been the ones placing us into these classes. They know what they're doing for the most part. And coming from a like rural small school, I'm like, okay, so, you know, I'm going to trust that they've been at Dartmouth longer than I have. They know more about the school than I do. So I kind of took a step back from it and it was then it was a lot easier for me to transition into the writing yeah i think that's the news you could use out of out of that story around you know the advisors the mentors the peers are giving you insights into this is how you make this place work on your terms and i think it's it's easy to say no i'm going to do it my own way and you're in a lot of places you're able to do that but i think being able to synthesize the advice and, and not overload. I think the other trick, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if Andrew found the combination of physics and the calculus in the same term. How was that? Yeah, it, it was definitely a, a big adjustment to have that be yeah. my first term. I remember I was talking to an upperclassman. They said, wow, you're doing two STEM classes your freshman fall. That's ambitious. And I, I, I hadn't thought anything of it. I, I saw a list of prerequisites I needed. I started to pile them on but no if physics had a three-hour lab every week or, or i think it was most weeks um yeah and then i've already talked enough about calculus it was it was definitely <laughs> definitely an adjustment um yeah n- not not impossible but definitely took a little 
change the study habits. <laughs> yeah. And what, so tell us about your winter and your spring term. What, how did, what, what sequence followed that calc and physics fall? I um, took writing five and gov three, um, which is the American political system, along with physics 14, which is sort of the next in the intro physics sequence in the winter. And right now I'm doing engines 20, um, which is the sort of the computer science prereq for engineering. Um, I'm doing math 23 differential equations, and I'm doing my first year seminar now. So it's interesting about Andrew's journey through his first year as an engineer or as a pre-engineer is a lot of your first year was engineering. I mean, you were you were doing the prerequisites and like one physics class builds on the next. And I think for the STEM focused kiddos out there or pre-meds, um, the, it is more sequential. I mean, you're going to take course one, then course two, maybe you jump over one, but you, they're building blocks that bring you from the beginning through the sequence that leads up to the major versus, you know, if you're not in that STEMI field, I mean, you know, Roman's floating around government and IR and you don't need to do them in any particular order usually. So Andrew, are you, are you going to, have you declared your major yet? Yeah, not officially. Um, yeah, I would say there, there's definitely, you definitely sort of have to, if you if you want to be an engines or STEM major, you sort of have to make the decision at some point, but I wouldn't say it has to be right at day one. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's definitely some people who are not first years who are in these intro tracks still, um, and they're doing just fine. So it, it'll all work out. You don't have to go in day one orientation. I'm going to be an engineer, but um, you definitely do have to sort of d decide at some point, um, probably around your sophomore year to make it work. Yeah. Lexi, where are you in the, the, you started undecided with math kind of in your back pocket. Sounds like you might've shifted a little bit away from that. I for sure want to be a Gov major. I took a Gov course in the winter and I have never, like out of all the classes I'd taken, that was the most interactive course that I had been in. I was always raising my hand. I was always asking questions and I was like, wait, I actually really enjoy this. Um, so for sure, a Gov major. And then I want to do linguistics in some form um, with Native American studies. So Dartmouth has a lot of really cool ways to modify that and work around that. So I can either major in Native American studies and minor in linguistics. I'm going to kind of figure that part out. But for sure, the Gov major is pretty much set in stone. Yeah. And I think I know the answer from Roman. <laughs> you started pre-law and gov and you're still there. Yes. But interestingly, when I was in the track of doing the intro courses for my government major, I actually heavily considered not pursuing government any longer. Um, but then I took my upper level course, my government 83. That one really, really assured me um, that I loved government. And that's something also about college that I found was extremely interesting. I was not the biggest fan of my intro courses, um, but I absolutely loved my upper level courses became because they became way more niche on subjects within government that I found more interesting. They were more case study based and whatnot. Um, so for spring term, actually, all of my government courses are upper and mid-level courses. Yeah. So true or false, your freshman year of college is a time to explore. I would say true. True. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Why? Yes, I'd say um, back, we were talking about the taking advice from upperclassmen and advisors. The one piece of advice um, that ran contrary to my prior belief that I'm realizing is really true that they were both saying is um, at Dartmouth, we have a bunch of, we call them distribs. They're distributive requirements since it's a liberal arts school. So we have to take a few um, like world culture courses, a few in sort of every department. And um, everyone was telling me, don't take a course just because it fulfills a distrib. I said, oh, come on, don't tell me that. I got a bunch of en engines courses to get to. I got to get these all out of the way. And it's really, no, don't do that. Um, you, you sort of just have to, to find your way and explore. Um, yeah, one of my good friends, I think, like Lexi, took a linguistics course and fell in love with it. And now it might be a minor or a dual major or something like that. Yeah, well, I think that is the, that's the point I was trying to get to, where sometimes you have not thought about a topic or a major or a program coming out of high school and you you find a course during your first year where you say, oh, this is a really interesting subject that I had not thought about, but it pulls off of the things I really like, but it presents them in new ways. And I think that, you know, my advice 
kind of not as the dean of admission, but just sort of as a pre-major advisor would be don't be so set in your ways as you come in, unless you're at a college where you've had to declare a major right out of the door and you're in a, a school within a university where it's like, I'm studying business and this is the curriculum and I've got to follow it. But if you're in a liberal arts space, you've got a year plus to really um, see where you might be best situated and you might stay right where you were as a high school senior when you were applying. And you might say, you know what? I've discovered something I wasn't anticipating. So as we close, what's what what one piece of advice would you give high school seniors about their academic experience as they as they make their college decision? I guess if I had to pick one, I would say trust yourself. Um, you've you've made it through high school, and if you got accepted into college, then you 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 definitely have what it takes, and um, it, it'll be a bit of a, it'll definitely be a change. But don't be afraid to ask yourself. And you have to remember, I, I've definitely, there were a few times this year, um, more times than I'd like to admit. I'm like, am I really smart? Oh, wh why, how, how did I get here? But you really just have to trust yourself. You, you are smart. You do have what it takes. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And it'll all work out in the end. You, even yeah. if you get, God forbid, a C in a class, it'll still be fine. <laughs> the, amen. And I think that's kind of a great way to wrap our episode, kind of summoning Andrew's don't question how you got in. Never doubt you're smart. Trust that the admission process that brought you where you're going, pay attention to your ability to do the work. And it doesn't mean there aren't some speed bumps at the beginning or maybe a 50 on your first linguistics test or a calc exam that makes you bang your head on your desk. Like That is part of this experience and your first year will unfold in really interesting and exciting ways. So Lexi, Andrew, Roman, thank you for joining me on the admissions beat and sharing your insights with our friends in high school. Thank That's, you. Thanks for having us. So seniors, April continues to wind down. We've got two more episodes to go to help you get to your enrollment decision. Stay tuned. For now, this is Lee Coffin from Dartmouth College. Thank you for listening.